Welcome to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast, brought to you by Asfalis Advisors and the Disaster Recovery Journal. Crisis management in today's world is ever-changing, and this podcast is our commitment to help you navigate successful outcomes for any crisis you may face. I'm your host, Vanessa Matthews. I specialize in providing insights and solutions for crisis, continuity, and resilience across industries from real estate and healthcare to terrorism in the airline and transportation worlds. No matter what industry you're in, this podcast will provide you the tools to build resilience in your organization. Welcome back to another episode of the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. Today, I'm super excited. We're going to be talking about how a rail strike threat would derail supply chains. And my great friend, Ken Baker, he is the director of procurement with Amcor. He is our guest today. So Ken, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Very excited to see you in action and and actually be part of your uh, be part of your uh, show here. <laughs> Guys, I'm so excited. Like I used to work with Ken uh, in manufacturing in my aviation days. So I just saw him, and I'm super, super, super excited <laughs> about today's conversation. So before we dive into the questions. Um, you've probably been following the news over the last few months regarding a possible then imminent, then blocked rail worker strike that was set to take place on December 9th of 22. While Congress voted to block the strike, rail workers' concerns have not been fully addressed. So we haven't seen the end of this possible crisis. Ken Baker, he is a supply chain expert, and he's here to discuss the implications of this possible strike and why businesses need to pivot their supply chain strategy in 2023. So with that in mind, can you give our listeners a little bit of perspective on your professional background? Okay, yeah. So um, I've been in supply chain in some form or another since 1997, um, you know, in, in all aspects, uh, industrial supply, sales, procurement, sourcing, et cetera, right? And so uh, supply chain has been something that I've been part of for a long time. The first couple years was industrial supply. Then I spent about uh, 15 years in aerospace and the last uh, 10 has been in the pulp and paper industry. Right. And, and I think, uh, you know, it's having kind of touched multiple facets of the supply chain that gives me a little bit of perspective on what we're, what we're looking at here. Awesome. I love it. So it's very well-rounded, which is going to be super helpful for today's conversation. So Let's dive in. Um, what would have happened if railroad workers did go on strike? And what is the level of severity for supply chains in that scenario? Okay. So now a, a lot of what we're talking about is hypothetical because the rails are such a critical piece of our of our national infrastructure that the government probably won't ever let them do something extensive. And you have to understand how the rails work. Like you just kind of have these these regions that are owned by different railroad companies. So if even one piece of this network kind of locks up, then what you have is you have all these backups. So the question is, what do we what what moves by rail? Well, it's bulk goods, right? And so think about this: you have lumber, you have coal, you have automobiles, you have all these things, these these very heavy things. Case in point, we have paper rolls. They're they're transported by rail because it's 
for very heavy, large items, it's the most economical way to move material from point A to point B. It's not the most expedient. In other words, it's not the fastest way, but it's the most economical. You think about with a 18 wheeler, you can only pull one trailer behind you, right? With a train, you can pull a thousand cars and we've all been sitting at that railroad crossing, right? And, <laughs> and counted the cars and waited and et cetera. So, so what happens? Well, railroad workers go on strike and they lock up just one piece of this infrastructure. Well, now you have rail cars that are backing up. In the event that they have perishable goods, that's a, that's a risk, not a guarantee. But now you are, now what's happening is we're burning up inventories at the factories with no new inventories coming in, no new raw materials coming in. Okay, so what does this lead to? If, if this gets strung out, what are we really looking at? Well, we're looking at impacts that are very similar to what we saw whenever the ocean freight uh, became all jacked up uh, about a year ago, right? Whenever, the, whenever we went sideways in the Suez Canal. The supplies can't get, the, the raw materials can't get to the factories. The factories are going to produce with what they have. And ultimately, you start to see a tightening of supply overall. Consumer goods aren't available, which leads to price increases, et cetera. And, then the, and, and so that's really what you're looking at. Some industries may be more impacted than others, depending on where and how the, uh, the lockup occurred. But ultimately, it what it does is it causes inflation, tightness of supply, which is your law of supply and demand, and it causes inflation in uh, consumer prices. Love that. So you said what's what's on the, the railroad cars are bulk items. And so yep. are there specific industries, to your point about each industry might look different, but are there some industries that might be more affected by a strike than than others, or is everyone kind of in a in a space where they could be impacted. You know, that's a, I was thinking about this early when I was reading through the questions and I was kind of going through it in my head. And the truth is that I think it's, it's pretty widespread. I, I couldn't tell you that there's one industry that's just going to get locked down. I know that the, uh, I know that the pulp and paper industry would suffer pretty greatly, which means that you don't have toilet paper or paper towels, right? But let's face it, you remember in the beginning of COVID, toilet paper was the issue. <laughs> I, I know that grain and a lot of those those bulk items like that, they don't get where they need to go, which means that that's gonna have an impact on the on the food, the processed food industry. And you, know, you can't make bread now and you can't do this and you can't do that. Lumber, you know, building materials now, for instance, right now with the with the Fed uh, continuing to escalate the, the rates, we're seeing demand for lumber go down. But if lumber gets stuck on the rails, then you're going to see that you're going to see that market tilt back up again, right? And you're going to smooth it out, and you're, we're not going to go down as far as we we had hoped to. Maybe there's not as much of an impact there because we don't have as many home starts, but still an impact, right? So. The quick answer to your question, because I know I made it long, is uh, no, I think it's it's a pretty widespread impact. It has that uh, ripples on a pond effect, mm. you know? Okay. So with that in mind, if it has the ripples on the pond effect, 
those who depend on railroads, should they start pivoting their supply chain strategy in 23? And if so, how do you even begin that process? Okay, so this is a great question. And it's uh, it depends. I think that what we're really talking about here, and you and I have had a lot of great conversations about this. This is where your business continuity planning comes into effect. And you've got to evaluate risk versus reward. So there's a lot of a lot of industries that, you know, we're for a long time there, we were all trying to get to the just in time, you know, no inventory scenario, which I think is a pretty good place to be when your supply chains are open and free. Now, what makes the supply chain open and free? Well, it's availability of supply. It means that you've got multiple people that you could use. It means that your supply is close at hand, you know, stuff like that. But if there's risk to your supply chain, then there's, you definitely need to start thinking, okay, what is, what level of criticality do I assign to these things? How much can I absorb? How much can I, how much can I, uh, you know, kind of uh, defray. So when it comes to goods that might be, that might be um, affected by something like the railroad strike, yeah, you've got to start thinking about, okay, if this happens, what do I do? Do I move to over the road trucking? Well, maybe some of it, but that's more expensive. And there's a lot more regulations. And we, by the way, in this country, we have a we have a lack of certified CDL drivers. So, you know, that's not always the right answer. And, you know, so other things you can do is you can, you can look to warehousing, you know, can we get, can we position inventory closer to me? So where it's not all in my books, but it's not all at way over there where it's originating from, you know, um, and I think that we have to really open our eyes in today's what, what COVID taught us, I think, I think what COVID taught us is that, you know, when there's a lot of inventory, we can um, navigate brief interruptions to the supply chain, mm -hmm. but we cannot navigate extended impacts to the supply chain because our inventories, even when our inventories are quote unquote high, they're not nearly as high as they used to be. And that's because of technology. That's because of, of advancements in transportation and, and electronics and ERPs and, and, you know, digital communication, et cetera. But we have to start thinking more along the lines of, Hey, how do I get my, how do I get my supply chain closer positioned closer to me so that in the event of this, the gap is smaller and I can move quicker, be more agile to continue and maintain, even if I'm maintaining at a lower percentage, but I can hold that, I'm still going to be way ahead of the guy that just drops off the cliff because he can't get anything. Yeah. So two things I love that you said, of course, business continuity, because I mean, anytime we can advocate for why BCP is a value, then let's, let's do that. But the second thing is your strategy on, on moving your warehouse is closer, which in my mind gives you better predictability. And even if you have to sell less, it at least gives you predictability of said product and hopefully enables you to still meet your customer's service level agreements, which goes back to business continuity management. Right. So love that. So 
Let's take it a step further. You, you talked a bit about inflation and things like that. If a strike did happen in 23, it would probably be the event to tip us into a full bone recession. In addition to everything that you've suggested so far, what do you think businesses need to do to prepare for an impeding recession? Boy, that's a great question, right? And there's a couple of things that I think we can do, right? And, and this is where your, your business continuity comes into play at all levels, right? So business continuity is not just a supply chain conversation. It's a human conversation about your labor. It's a, it's a overhead conversation about your facilities. It's a raw material conversation. It's an equipment conversation, et cetera, right? I think what, what companies really need to do, in my opinion, from a, uh, from a supply chain standpoint, you need to do something, what I call it's a, you need to do a lead time analysis. And a lead time analysis is really, it's your availability and your lead time. And so what's the difference between the two? Well, lead time is the amount of time it takes to actually manufacture something. So think about, you know, cradle to, cradle to grave, cradle to consumer. Availability is how much is out there. Okay. And so if you don't really understand, number one, lead time and availability for your direct materials, then you're going to be behind the wheel. Like you're going to be behind the eight ball because you're not going to be prepared for the demand that's going to come and pull that supply out from underneath you, right? You won't have pre-positioned your orders. You won't have built-in SLAs with your supply chain to make sure that you're going to get what you need. And then also, you have to do this stuff from a uh, from an MRO standpoint too. And why do I bring that up? Because MRO stands for maintenance, repair, and operations. You can't make stuff if you can't run your equipment, right? And so everything has like its own supply chain, its own you know bunch of dots connecting with one another to get stuff from point A to point B. If you don't do your lead time and availability and criticality analysis on your MRO, then even if you can get your direct materials, you may find yourself way behind the eight ball when it comes to running your equipment, fixing your equipment, maintaining your equipment, et cetera. And that's just as bad as not having the direct materials to, to go. The last thing I'm going to say is this. A lot of companies don't do those other things because they don't have the time, they don't have the resources. But it is critical that we're making time for that exercise and not just within us, but because we are we are impacted by it. We need to be having really transparent conversations with our suppliers about their business continuity. I'll tell you, I actually, you know, you and I talked about the rail strike a few weeks ago and I was going to my suppliers and I was saying, hey, what, what's your plan? What's your plan? And I got to tell you. <laughs> Their plan was the government was not going to let it happen. That was the plan. And I was like, boy, that is not a plan. I'm not comfortable that if this hits the fan, I'm going to be able to get my board. So you got to start really pushing on that. And, uh, and, and you can't push on that early enough. I, you know, the best plans are the ones we never have to use. Right. But that's uh, that, I think those are the things that, that we have to do to, be prepared and the better prepared you are, the more likely you're going to be coming out of the other end with, I mean, there'll be impact, but it won't be nearly as severe. Yeah. 
So I want to go deeper on that because when I worked at you in manufacturing and aviation worlds previous years ago, you were a key stakeholder in our business continuity management program. And so as a leader in procurement, what do we need to be paying attention to in terms of when we're talking and partnering with suppliers and vendors, what questions should we be asking? How do we validate that they have their sugar, honey, iced tea together? <laughs> I like that. <clears throat> sugar, honey, iced tea. Right. Spell it out. You'll yeah. figure it out. Um, <laughs> how do we, I got it. how do we, you know, like make sure that, that we're dotting our I's and our crossing and we're crossing our T's. Okay. Great question. And we, so we're rolling up our sleeves. Now we're getting into it, right? Okay. Well, what the deal is here. So first off, you've got to really understand your criticality. That takes a lot of work on your part, but once you understand what's critical, then you can go to your suppliers and say, okay, what's your plan? And whenever they bring forth their plan, then you, we can start asking the same questions we would ask ourselves for our plan. So you remember, you remember when we did it, we were like, okay, if, uh, we were in we were in a coastal area, so we were talking about hurricanes, right? We were like, okay, if a hurricane comes through here and the facilities are out, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Who's going to do what? Same questions can be asked of the supplier, and I think that it goes farther because then you can start asking them, okay, what are what are your supply chains? How, like, how far away are your direct material suppliers? How you know how many people do you have within? A, a certain region how many how many facilities do you have okay so if this one goes down what kind of redundancy do you have between the, the facilities it, it these are all questions that we should actually be asking ourselves in our own plan and then we lift up our our program and we say okay so we know what we can do but we rely on all these inputs so let's go talk to those inputs that we deem critical right and say okay critical input A, what's your plan? And we just ask the questions. Uh, unfortunately, I think what you're gonna find is be, by the time you get, I mean, you'll probably start running into hurdles at your very first tier of supply chain. Uh, you know, like it, it, it's frightening how companies give this stuff a lot of uh, lip service, but they don't really do a lot of work on it. And it's, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. We, again, you can go into that in a different podcast too, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's asking, it's asking the tough questions, you know, the what, when, where, and how questions um, that, that you're going to, that they're going to need to be able to answer. And they need to, they need to be able to articulate one thing I think is really important and I learned this when I was working with you actually well, way back when but one thing people really need to be able to articulate is the who and when we say the who we're not talking I don't want I don't want somebody to tell me Vanessa Matthews is going to do it I want somebody to tell me here's the role that has this responsibility and in their backup is this role because whenever we assign these these things to humans to specific humans, what do we do? Well, we create a silo and we create an opportunity that if that individual gets removed from the chain for whatever reason, the whole the whole house of cards is gonna collapse, right? It's the Jenga model, right? You take out this one little piece and the whole thing falls and that's no good for anybody. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's so important for us as continuity uh, professionals. I've talked to you a bit about 
us doing some supply chain risk and vulnerability work. And one of the key things that you shared with me is you are a business continuity professional. And so a lot of supply chain risk and vulnerability is stuff you already know. There are some specifics that are very specific to the supply chain, right? Um, that we do have to account for, but the process is is the process. So last question for you. When I talk to chief operating officers across the world, what they're paying attention to is what is the product or the supply that I can't get access to? So you mentioned uh, lumber, yeah. right? But what are some other things that you're seeing in your experience that are like, yeah, this might be hard to come by? Well, that, that's a great question. Again, like you're full of great questions today. The truth is that it, it, it's a, it comes and goes on cycles. You know the, the item that really has impacted us the most in the last two years? Microchips, right? That's not a natural resource, but it is certainly fundamental to the technology that we all use day to day, every day, right? Lumber is actually another good example. <laughs> this is kind of geeky and I, I don't mean to nerd out on everybody, but you know what, what happened last year? So we already have, we have all these home starts that are way up. So there's a lot of demand on lumber, but somebody put a bunch of tariffs in place between the US and Canada. <laughs> And so it was expensive to export the uh, lumber or import the lumber into the U.S. And on top of it, there was a beetle infestation that reduced the exports from Canada by 30 percent. So now, yeah, so now not only are we taxing it more heavily through our input, our, our tariffs, but there's less coming because they've got themselves a, a good old fashioned Mother Nature issue going on up there. Right. And so what happened? Well, all of a sudden, we don't have nearly as much lumber. Cost of lumber went up. Cost of houses went up. We, Mexico was actually exporting as much lumber as they could to the U.S. because it was it was so expensive. Like right, it it was kind of like a tsunami. You know, when it sucks back and before it hits, like you couldn't get lumber in Mexico to make things like pallets because they were sending everything to the U.S. for housing stuff. Right. And again, back to the pond and the ripples or the dominoes, it was another great example of someplace where we we didn't we couldn't have the supply and, and the supply chain really uh, kind of imploded on itself. Now it's righted itself a little bit, you know, because of uh, the Fed and, and the home starts going down. But the easy answer is that it, it depends. It comes and goes. I think the things we have to be most concerned about moving forward right now our grain and corn because of uh, the Ukraine. And I think that that's where you're going to see over the next couple of years, you're going to see continued tightening there unless we do something here in the United States to expand our production. Okay. And I think you shared this with me over breakfast, but corn fuels fuel? Okay. Yeah. The, okay. <laughs> well, bi bioethanol, right? Biofuels, uh, is, corn is actually a key component of that. So biodiesel and a lot of those a lot of those biofuels that we're all using at the pump, those all have, you know, the, uh, what is it? Uh, anyway, corn's an element of that. Mm. And so if we need to take corn, if all, we have to use all our corn for food, and we don't have as much for the, for the alternate fuels, then you're, what happens is the alternate fuels become much more expensive unless we find some sort of, um, you know, alternative 
some sort of uh, you know non-bio alternative, but we we don't want that. We want the bio. We want the the natural resources, uh, the replaceable resources versus petroleum and all that stuff, which are unreplaceable. Got it. So which would mean so not only is just from the pure fact that Russia has bombed Ukraine, but also just the whole tug of war on oil and gas, it's basically going to squeeze. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a real possibility. Now, to be fair, uh, you know, the U.S. can do certain things. Other countries can do certain things to help alleviate that. But no, like if the question is, where do we think, you know, where, where do I see the next tightening of supply chains? It's right there. It's in the uh, it's in the, the food and grain area where and, you know, that has so much of an impact globally across, you know, it's the world's breadbasket to Ukraine. And uh, and so that all all that demand doesn't go away. We just crossed 8 billion people in the world, right? So we there's more humans on the planet than there ever has been, and we got to feed them all. So all that's going to do is is tighten up supply where we can where we can make it and uh, and it's going to create, you know, ripples down in other in unintended areas like biofuels stuff like that, which becomes secondary to, you know, feeding humans. Okay. So for all my warriors out there, we're not going to worry. <laughs> we're going to end on a light note because I certainly just got very depressed. So on that note, two things I want to ask you, where does Ken go to get smart? Where should we be reading the same things that you're reading so we can find out about this stuff? And then secondly, how can our subscribers follow you, stay abreast with what you are doing? Okay. Well, First off, you're giving me a lot of credit there because most of my, you know, like every now and then I chime in on LinkedIn and you can find my profile on LinkedIn. It's Ken Baker. I don't have, I don't have quite a, a presence yet, but, you know, you and I have talked about me being uh, more forthcoming with that. As far as where I go to get smart, again, you're giving me an awful lot of questions, but, you know, some of the places that I really really uh, feel pretty confident and it's the the Bureau of Labor Statistics, right? The Consumer Products Index, where you can really start to see the pieces as they're moving uh, across the world. And and by the way, I spend a lot of time reading articles on uh, LinkedIn. There's a there's a guy who I I follow named Michael Cadeau. He does the Procurement Foundry as a, as a, as a group. And there's a lot of really smart people um, that come on there. Now, most of them are talking about, most of the time they're talking about how we make deals and, you know, procurement or sourcing type stuff. I don't see a lot of, uh, a lot of business continuity in there, but still, you know, just understanding where people's demands are and how the industry's moving. That's those are the kind of things that I have to keep abreast with where I can. Awesome. Well, my good friend, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to have you. Vanessa, it's always a pleasure to see you. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Uh, you know, uh, we, we had a, we had a great breakfast and, and I got to tell you, anytime you want to talk, you know, I'm here. I want to talk with you. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for listening to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast brought to you by Asphalus Advisors and Disaster Recovery Journal. Make sure you check out the show notes for this episode to see all the upcoming events, programs, and ways we can support you. 
Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a review and share it with a friend. Thanks again. And I'll talk to you in the next episode.